Hello there, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of No Pointers. We're your hosts, Gerald, Mark, and Stephen. And today we are going to talk about talking, basically. We are going to talk about giving sessions at conferences, maybe a little bit remote. So let's go check it out. Before we're moving on to the main event of today, which is funny because we are talking about events and presenting at events. Oh, I'm too soon with my little segue here. Well, anyway, let's talk about our <laughs> news topic, which is the confusion that has to do with Windows 11. Everyone is panicking because no one can run Windows 11 on their machine that they bought last week. It's crazy. Everyone it's is... It's a conspiracy, right? Yes. Yes. So what's going on, Mark? Can you tell us? Well, it seems, Gerald, that uh, with Windows 11, the security has been elevated or the trusted platform module has to be version 2.0. Now, I'm just rhyming together words. I actually have got no idea what that chipset does, but I'm guessing it has something to do with security. And I think it's got something to do with the startup security, so you can't mingle around with the root bits of a system, I think, but I might be corrected there by someone on our Twitterverse. Anyhow, you need version 2.0, and it seems that quite a few machines do not actually have a physical TPM 2.0 there, but I know that. I have read a tweet, and I think it was by you, my good friend, Gerald, telling me, Mark, everything's fine. You can... Everything's fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of, and to be honest, I have no clue what I'm doing as well. So, you know, don't trust me. Uh, But from what I've seen coming by with the, because you have a tool now, the Windows 11, I I think it's called differently, but you can check if your computer is compatible with Windows 11. You can download it. You can check it. Um, And there, so, and that was kind of, I, I, I feel that was released a little bit prematurely because it would just say, you can run it or you cannot run it, and it would not tell you why. So you would have to go through the list with requirements, what's required for Windows 11, and then there was even more confusion, like you need the TPM 2.0 chip, which is indeed, as I understand it, some kind of chip that does hardware encryption, um, and you have version 1.2, which is actually in most systems, maybe not like a actual hardware chip on your motherboard but it can also be on your cpu and you can just enable it in the um bios is that is that also a word is that also well, do they still know. exist are there still bioses is there well still a thing? you never know i, mean, I still call it that but it's okay. like the uv uefy i don't know that thing you just press the lead or some <laughs> f button while your yeah. computer is starting up you'll get there um, and then you have to flip something and then it's still enabled because if you use BitLocker, I think BitLocker needs it. If you can use BitLocker, then basically you have the capability of that. So and now there's still confusion. I see different tweets coming by like Microsoft changing the documentation page like, hey, you actually need TPM 2.0. Uh, but at some point there was also like you can you can use TPM 1.2. Uh, but we are we are recommending 
that you are using 2.0. So, you know, it's just, just air quotes, a recommendation. Um, so that's kind of, and I think there's still not much clarity on that. And also I think there was some uh, critique about, uh, you know, the list of CPUs that was supported because the CPUs also had to be crazy new. So um, anyway, there's lots of confusion going on. Uh, from what I've seen, Windows 11 looks beautiful. Uh, a lot of consistency in the UI. I think we already talked about that with the leak build. Um, but a lot of confusion if you can actually run it, yes or no. And to be honest, you know, whatever the case is right now, I think Windows and Microsoft are not going to, you know, uh, skip 90% of their consumer customers and say, you can't upgrade. That's not going to happen. I also don't think that Microsoft will abandon most of its user base uh, just to update its operating system. Then again, I heard, by the way, just, you know, like just, just to pour oil into the fire, there were some very uh, good onlookers while the demo was happening, and they spotted that there was a Teams message coming in, like, wow, really looking forward to this Windows 11, can't wait until October. So that's the screenshot there. I'll put, I'll put a link into that. Uh, I think it was the Birch that noted it um, to that post where they found that one. And there was also a hint that there will be a new Surface because there was some calendar notification thing going on somewhere in the background where it was said, hey, uh, Surface review thingy. So the, the rumor mill has it that <clears throat> with Windows 11, if you are unhappy with your current machine and you really want to update, uh, that there might be a new Surface line coming interesting, out interesting interesting probably with all the newest chips and thingy <laughs> all the stuff that you need all the stuff that yeah. you need um so now okay now it's time for the famous segue i already spoiled it let's go on to our main event so we're going to talk about like speaking at events and i know we came to this topic let's just be honest put it out there because mark you're going to do a talk tomorrow and the day after that and you always get kind of nervous for these things which is which is fun <laughs> it's true it's true um yeah some people say it's funny i don't know but it's it's definitely true i usually get nervous before my talks and then people come up to me and say you know mark it will be fine everything's gonna be okay i just go like do it yeah yeah, i know i know just this is just normal this is just me get excited i get nervous and then i get to do my talk and then the talk is over and then i yeah crash collapse and repeat because it's so much fun. <laughs> oh, Mark, then you exactly know why you're doing it. How about yeah. you, Stephen? You don't do it too often, but no, how is... It's, uh, it is a very limited occasion that I do this. But uh, yeah, it's, the nerves, I mean, that's that's just part of it, right? If, you, if you're not nervous, I think, well, you're kind of a Superman of some sorts, but it's, it, I don't think you cannot be nervous. But it's, yeah, I didn't do a lot of talks. I actually did a few remote, which is easier because no one is staring at you from across the room. Um, but yeah, the the preparation bits, because that's obviously one of the things we want to talk about here. There's a lot that goes into it, that at least that I found, uh, which is maybe also why I'm not doing that much of a talk. I mean, just getting a topic, that that's the start, right? There's, there's your first problem. What are you even going to talk about? Um, and for me, I feel like 
I want to have a decent knowledge about a topic first and getting there well by by the time i'm there i feel like the topic is outdated probably so that's maybe also one of my issues but yeah i feel like having a subject it, it needs to suit you um so for example my pretty much only talk i think i ever did was graphic schmaffics bits in xamarin which is well i feel very comfortable there and think i can answer most questions that would been thrown my way so yeah so that's there's already a lot of interesting stuff in here so like you say like coming up with topics that is something let's let's park that let's talk about that for a little bit uh in, in, in yeah 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 uh no well actually we can talk about it now so it's the same thing for me as like you know i think we mentioned it before like whenever you have something ideally that you're actually working on and you're gonna dive deep into it you can leverage that to create all kinds of content, right? You can write blogs about it. You can do some tweets about it. You can do a YouTube movie about it, you know, depending on what you want to do in life. Um, and you can also create a talk from it, right? Um, and the other thing you mentioned, like you have to be the expert, like, okay, sure, you're, you have to know what you're going to say, but the audience that will come, you know, typically will not know what it's about, else they go to a session where they already know everything. So kind of automatically, you already know more than the audience. Um, and I think the times, you know, where the speakers are like these these have gods and, and we think that they know everything, I think those times are over. Uh, we know that they're just people who have a certain expertise. They have a certain uh, skill set to actually give these presentations. I think... I think, and I, I know because I'm one of these people who actually goes to sessions by certain people that I've already seen maybe, or I, I know the stuff just because I want to see that person speak, right? So that's that's how far we've come as rock star developers. Um, <laughs> and that was one other thing that I was going to say, but I totally forgot what that was. Um, so yeah, but you know, that's, that's already um, a couple of things. But Mark, coming up with talk ideas is the things that I'm saying, like you have something that you're doing on your day job and then you run with that. Is that something that you do as well? Yeah, I, I, I take the inspiration, I think, from, from different parts. Uh, so one thing that you mentioned, Gerald, that is surely true. You do something at your day job or you get a question during your work time. And those things, they can just be like, ah, yeah, I could, I know how that goes. I can, I can write a blog post on it. And sometimes you stumble upon certain areas where you think like, man, this is really cool. And I think I, I just, I need to show people, I need to show people this really cool idea or this really cool uh, library framework uh, concept, how you can solve certain things. And those are usually uh, parts which I then think this might be an interesting talk topic that I could then present to people. And hopefully they will learn something uh, from, from this talk and maybe take that, uh, let's say, inspiration with them and maybe they'll try it out and maybe they will speak just as happy as i was when i first stumbled upon this thing and that's a really cool thing right like the the, the times that i presented uh, uh, i cr created a talk let's say it say it like that um is also you have to do the demos right so well ideally i i like to do the demos some people don't but i like to do it um, so you're going to prepare them and you're going to go over the, the, the theory that you want to talk about and you want to get it right. So you are going to dive that little bit deeper. You're going to 
um, really get into the details and verify that everything works the way you think it works. So you're actually learning something by creating a talk that you're going to teach other people with, ideally. Um, so that's also something that that has um, you know worked for me in a couple of occasions as well, that you actually learn something by creating that talk. Um, so that's really cool. So actually, actually, let's take... A little step back because something that I just remembered is how did you even um, again this is maybe limited to uh, not not really for Stephen um, but how did we actually get into speaking like I remember very much um, being at a conference in England as an attendee to be clear um, and I was saying to a colleague of mine like hey we how how does this work how does this world work like we have these awesome speakers and how do they get invited all the time? Are they being asked or how, how do they do that? And now years later, um, him and myself, uh, we have done numerous of sessions all around the world, which is really cool. So, you know, we, we found our way, but um, it was kind of like a, well, a desire is maybe too strong of a word, but uh, you know, I like to do it. I discovered that I like to do it. Um, Oh, and now I remember what Stephen was saying. Like, it was remote, so you don't have the people staring at you, which is actually a thing that I enjoy more, that people are staring at me, so you can get a little bit of the response in the room. Uh, but that's a whole different story. So, but anyway, and that's something that I, I like to do, I love to do, and the questions afterwards and all the things that, that come together. And, you know, traveling, seeing cool new places, uh, although it sounds more glamorous than it actually is most of the times. Uh, but yeah, so that's how I kind of rolled into it. And I found out that you have to, you have these call for papers. So events put out a call for papers uh, like, hey, we have this date, we have this event. We are looking for these topics because, you know, events typically go into a specific corner of development like .NET as a whole, or maybe Azure or maybe serverless, or, you know, it can be any kind of uh, niche or whatever. Um, and then there is this call for papers and, um, you as a speaker or aspiring speaker, um, can go there and say, Hey, I have this talk, this title, this abstract usually, um, and that might be interesting. And then the organizers will go over all the, um, uh, the papers, the proposals, which is usually a lot. I think a lot of people start liking giving talks now so or at least a growing number so the events are in big trouble with all the quality talks that are coming in and they have to go through it to create a great agenda uh, but yeah and that's kind of how you roll into it and that's also kind of the hard thing um, and I feel like I'm holding a monologue here so I'll do a question somewhere in here as well um, but yeah that's also the hard thing right like when you get started nobody knows you nobody knows your name um, so it's kind of hard to get into conferences, um, at least like the bigger ones, because, you know, they would love to have these bigger names so they can attract also more attendees. Uh, so there's also this, this marketing commercial kind of aspect going on. Um, uh, but yeah, so the Mark, Steven, uh, the, how did you kind of get into it? For me, it, it was pretty simple. I got asked, um, in the few times that I, that I actually did it. Um, and I think that was mainly because typically developer talks aren't really about graphics and UI. Like we're, we're very into all the nitty gritty implementation details of all kinds of frameworks and, and tools. Um, so basically the, the thing that I 
would want to say I know the most about is something that, well, was kind of lacking. So I guess some of the people that asked me just wanted to have something different. That's always nice when you get asked to do a talk. It has, it has happened. It doesn't happen often. Yeah, it doesn't. It actually does not happen all that often, at least not for me. So, I, But I think for me, it was the same thing. So I got into speaking. I, I remember I just... I always like to stand in front of a audience. Was it uh, at uni when you had to do some presentation or something like that? And then when I had my first serious job, um, they asked me if I want to present about some, I don't know, I think it was UI testing framework for .NET, WPF back in the day. So yeah, t- totally um, off topic. I didn't really have to do anything with the, with the thing back then. But yeah, so some people cobbled together their events and then I was allowed to present. And uh, yeah, I, I caught the buck a bit there. And in that company, we also had these internal gatherings uh, where you were, where they were always happy to find people that wanted to present. So I then kind of got into it. And then I met a few people along the way who then became MVPs and stuff like that. So in the end, it's, I think it's also nice if it, we, we said it like in the fitness episode, it's always nice when you have someone that you feel like you have to be accountable for that can help like people that inspire you. Hey, you try this uh, and then yeah, get going. And then uh, now there are, uh, as Gerald said, a lot of uh, call for papers or CFPs for short, and there you can apply variously. Uh, for for topics so usually a conference will have a certain set of topics so how do you go about this do you have a certain set of talks or do you actually look at which conference you want to visit and then specially prepare a talk for their interest so that's an interesting question uh of course you know i think it that is true maybe for most of us it's all kind of um, targeted towards examine and that kind of mobile development stuff. So, you know, that's one thing. Although I try to branch out at some point a little bit because like we said in a previous episode as well, like, you know, the app is not just, um, this is not something we said in an episode. This was something I said to Stephen while we were talking about something else. But anyway, the app is not really like the thing that is running on your device, right? We also have, of course, a lot of this experience outside of the actual app with the backend, the rest service mostly, um, some serverless stuff, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that's definitely something that I gave some talks about as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's kind of both. Why not both? Um, I have a set of talks that I feel confident that I they are somewhat good because I gave them a couple of times. They got picked for some other conferences. So if you have Sessionize, which is a system for both organizers and speakers, where you can have a couple of those abstracts of your talks on there, um, and you can really easily, with basically one click of a button, submit them to uh, this conference that has an open call for papers, um, and they can pick it really easily from there. Uh, but yeah, so I have a set of talks there. Also kind of as a portfolio, you can put them on your public profile uh, so that if a conference comes looking for you, they can see like, hey, I have these talks that I can give. Uh, or if there is a conference that looks really interesting and for whatever reason, I really would like to go there. Uh, of course, you're going to investigate a little bit more like, hey, what are they interested in? What type of talks do they want? Um, and maybe refine one of your talks a little bit and send something specific for them. 
Uh, but, you know, what I've learned and what I felt bad about at first, basically, is also like reusing talks, uh, right? So when I really just started, uh, which was which I did actually at really local user groups. So just, you know, groups of 10 people. Uh, Meetup.com was very popular back then uh, where you could, you know, you could go in in bigger cities. You could go basically to a meetup um, every night of the week and get free food and some free drinks and listen to some presentation, uh, which was really great. You know, I feel it died down now also because of the whole COVID stuff, of course, but also um, otherwise. Uh, but yeah, which is really like low key. A couple of people come together, eat some pizza, listen to your story. So that's really easy to get in or maybe internally at your company uh, just to get that mileage in and um, uh, get the feeling of how to do it. So that's kind of the path that I went from, uh, you know, little user groups and and getting the feeling for it and how you're doing. And um, so, yeah, then you have at some point, oh, the, the reusing the talks, that was what I was talking about. So uh, when I then just started, I felt like I had to do it different, like each time. Uh, but, you know, and it, if also that kind of depends, like if you're going to do, uh, more local user groups in kind of the same area, then sure, you can expect the same people to show up. Uh, but then again, like, you know, you you don't have to think for your audience, right? Like Stephen said already, like, I feel like I should know more than my audience, which is definitely true, I think. But also, um, you know, if they see the same speaker, the same title, and they still come, it's on them, right? That they've already seen the session. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. Right. Fair so, warning. Fair warning. <laughs> um, so you know, and then at some point, if no, no one comes anymore, then you might have given it too much in that specific geographic area. Uh, but you know, if at some point you start going to like the uh, more international conferences, and a lot of these CFPs and conferences make money, so they will also pay your ticket and your hotel, uh, which is really great. So. You know, then then you have suddenly you can use that session like in the USA, but also in Ukraine or in Russia or wherever, um, Spain. Um, and the chances are very low that the same people will come and see. Of course, then there's the recordings and online stuff, blah, blah, blah. But uh, yeah, so, you know, don't feel bad about reusing it because if you start doing it more often, then it takes so much time to develop a new talk and do all the demos. And for the next time that you're going to give it, uh, make sure that all your demos and stuff still works because especially with all the technology stuff and Azure stuff, things change all the time. So you have to make sure that everything works, still works. Um, and I think that is like an, a nice transition into preparing your talk. And Mark is about to give two of them. So how is your preparation going? Well, um, so I think I... <laughs> so I'm right now like in the, in the final stretch. Like, uh, so re rehearsing... Uh, trying to improve on the uh, on the timing, trying to improve the demos here and there, and uh, hopefully run into all the issues while I'm uh, doing the demos in a dry run before I then doing them in front of people and they fail and I have got no clue what could be the reason for them failing. And so I think if I if I go a few steps back, uh, so I'll be I'll be giving actually the talk. Topics I'll be giving one is about uh, reactive extensions and also uh, reactive UI, and this is the first time I'll be giving this talk. And I I have been using reactive UI quite extensively at work, and I always felt like the 
uh, topic of reactive extensions. It, when I tell people I do reactive extensions, they always give me this look, oh, that's something super complicated. Why do you even bother doing that? And I feel like it's it's not that complicated. And I really want to show people the idea behind it, like the concepts in a in a quick way, and then dive into some areas where they can reap great benefits from applying these principles. And that was like the the starting idea. And then you you frame it out. You go like, okay, how how can I convince people that the the base idea is actually not that far away from things that they might already know? And then from there on, how can I then make the link to mobile apps? And then when I'm once in mobile apps, maybe also show them a few helpers along the way, how they can get started more easily and then show some more advanced scenarios where they hopefully will go like, oh, that's that's actually quite cool. I I really want that in my next app. And so those are like the, the ways how you start building it up. And I think... Uh, Stephen, you mentioned it at the beginning. You know, you need you need knowledge, and you sometimes want to appear as the expert of a topic. And I I have to feel like when I started out speaking, I always thought I have to be the biggest expert in the world so that people will deem me worthy to give a talk on a certain subject. And these days, I think yes, you should know what you're talking. And if question comes, if a question comes your way, you should also be able to answer it, or at least give a, a hint in which direction the person could find the answer in. But I don't have to be the be-all, end-all expert on a topic that I'm presenting up on. So what I'm trying to give is like I'm trying to educate a bit. I'm trying to be entertaining while I do that, so that people stay focused doing it and they learn something while having a a pleasant time. I think that's what I'm looking for. How about you, Stephen? Yeah, I think what you what you said, um, the whole, I need to be the expert on this thing. Like, I think that sort of stems from, oh God, I don't, hope they ask me a question I don't know. And not knowing the answer to a question isn't even bad. I mean, you could even just go to, I'll look it up for you and I'll get back to you on, on Twitter or whatever. I mean, we live in, in a digital age where you can easily get in touch with someone if if need be. So I've uh, I've looked up some things at a later stage or uh, even just after the talk, like in the in the the hangout room, if you want to call it that, we, we talked further and looked up some stuff and, and figured out what uh, what the answer to the question was. So there's there's no shame in not knowing the answer, I would say. No, exactly. I feel like, you know, and, and I think it's important to also just admit that, right? Like not say, not try to come up with some answer, but just say, I don't know, but I can find out. So let's stay in touch. Here's my Twitter handle usually or whatever method you have to stay in touch uh, that you want to share with people and just say, hey, I don't know right now, but I'm going to find out. Um, you know, you get to keep the control um, and they will still get an answer afterwards. And maybe, you know, if it's something interesting, then you'll learn actually from that. So you have to see it as a gift, Mark. It's not something to panic about. Just relax, <laughs> relax. 
So yeah, so one of the things that we already mentioned a couple of times now, like, you know, being the expert and 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 not really, you know, you have to develop some kind of confidence. That's also like why I mentioned, like, you know, start small with small groups. Uh, well, I really started out what I also did, which feels really stupid to do, but it really helps, is to just, you know, give the talk. Um, and, and also, let me, let me say that first, like you want to pick a topic that you can talk about. And that's what I usually did. Uh, those were my best sessions, if I may say so myself, where you know the topic, right? And you just start talking. You have this red line, what you want to say, but you can just talk around your slides, basically. You don't have to have this script written line by line, word by word. You don't have to memorize it. Just know what you want to tell and then run with it, basically. So that um, also, then you don't have a session that is the same twice which is then your, suddenly your superpower. Um, but also what I did to, you know, it, it all, the sessions also have to be usually uh, 45 minutes, 60 minutes. Uh, there are conferences that do shorter sessions, which I personally hate, sorry. Uh, 45 minutes is already a challenge, uh, but 60 minutes, okay, fine. So, but then you have to get the timing right. So you have to develop that sense of timing uh, so what I what I did again what is really stupid to do uh, or I felt really stupid doing it is just doing the session out loud um, for yourself behind your computer if you're up to it record it so you can watch it back um, and what I also did is for the wife just do it for her um, she actually had a couple of good questions so I'll give her that uh, so it was like the real life experience uh, but yeah which is again really dumb to do but you know if you're committed if you want to get it right then that is something that you can definitely do but still if you're going to rehearse like that um, I think you have a great tool in PowerPoint now by the way that helps you with like the filler words and gives you some tips as well uh, but that's, you know, just, just a pro tip right here. And one thing that you have to keep in mind whenever you actually, you know, do this rehearsal like this is that whenever you get up on a stage is that you're going to talk like I, I always kept like the one and a half time speed uh, limit. So if you need 60 minutes of content on stage, you have to talk for 90 minutes, 90 minutes when you're sitting at home. Um, and then you will come up about the 60 minutes. Uh, but that is something that you can basically only learn with experience. But make sure that you set up your session in a way where you can easily, you know, uh, leave out a demo or skip some things, which is really hard to do, really hard to improvise if you're just starting. Uh, so you really have to get the hang of that. But yeah, that's that's something that you will definitely do. Another little tip um, um, is that, you know, the, the number of slides. So some people have a big number of slides. And if you take, again, like the average, if you're going to talk about a slide, it's going to average on one minute. Some slides you're going to go over in 10 seconds. The other one you're going to leave up there for two minutes. Average one minute. So just take all your slides. If it's, go if it's 30 slides, then you're going to talk for 30 minutes just doing slides and you have 30 minutes for demos. So that's just some tips right here that you can, you know, take with you um, whenever you are starting to speak out in the world, in, out in the open. Um, some tips, maybe Mark, Stephen, maybe you have some other stuff that you want to share. Well, I, I thought it was really interesting that you said don't have a script because I'm, I'm probably the opposite there. I, I try to have a, 
So, you know, okay, that's, that's, but okay, that's fair. Uh, so that's the biggest tip probably, you know, you have to do what works for you, right? This yeah. works for me, the thing that I just said. Uh, but if a script works for you, then fine, go with it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe we, we have a different understanding of a script, but what I usually like to do is have a certain idea how the talk will play out, like have a storyline. I won't write down sentence by sentence what I will be saying yeah, exactly. on each and every thing, but just like having an idea and then also know how to segue from one part into the other. Now, I know on this podcast, we do not always have the best segues from one part into the next. <laughs> What? But to be fair, but to be fair, it's mainly when we go from the news section, which is something random into the main topic. So I mean that that's always hard. And we're still learning. And one day we'll have it down to a science. One day. One day. Yeah. So but you said it I think another thing that I always have in the back of my head is the timing. Like how much time do I have? And you said some some talks vary. I uh, sometimes you give a talk in 30 minutes. Uh, sometimes it's even less than that. I think the shortest one I once gave was like 20 or 15 minutes. And the shorter the talk gets, the harder it gets to do the talk because you really have to focus your message that you're bringing over. So you don't have any time for fluff. You don't have any time to show, oh, do you know that this cool bit over here exists? Um, there's usually no time for that. And so... That if you usually talks, so they go for 45 minutes. So I, I always got like these three or four pieces in my head that I will be trying to work out. Like I'll have an introduction phase where I want to heat the people up or like bring them into the topic. And usually that means like it doesn't matter what your knowledge area is. You are kind of primed what comes next. And then I'll try to split it up into areas like I have a part A, B, and C, for example. And so I'll have part A, we'll be talking about some theory. I like to show demos in between just to uh, change things up a bit. And then you go from one of, then you go from one to the other. And ideally it's all in a nice line so people can follow. And also, I mean, if you talk for 45 minutes or for 60 minutes, it's actually quite long if you're listening. And so people might, uh, sneak in their smartphone and maybe send off a tweet or answer some text messages and then they will look up again after five minutes and they're lost because they got no idea where they where they lost you and I think it's it's always also like important to give people uh, here and there again like a big view like hey we're not here and you can now follow along again or like also not always be super technical in your talks uh, but I think that's something that also comes with experience. Like I remember when I started out, I was super technical and cramming as much knowledge as I could into my 45 minutes. And if people didn't say the heads exploded, I was sure I did something wrong. And these days I, I try to sometimes I'll, I'll yank out some content just to make it a bit easier for the attendees to yeah follow along what is the, the main content? And so if there are questions then like, hey, how can you do this and that? You will then have so much more to actually still talk about. And yeah, I think that's always a good sign if people ask for, hey, how about this? Or hey, how could you do that? Or did you know that that and that exists? Uh, and stuff like that. What about you, Stephen? Well, I haven't given much of a talk yet. I mean, I've, I've given one. 
so the whole setup of that was was it did have some structure you know like some kind of intro where where's what's this about why is this a problem you know it's it's your i would almost say basic setup of a story like an intro something where something happens and then the payoff and then some kind of like outro conclusion type thing but it's there there is some science into making a talk i would say and i think what what gerald mentioned with pitching it to the wife i don't think i did that i did pitch it to myself in a meeting with a mirror a few times um but it i can imagine that having someone listening can help you also maybe identify that structure um and and maybe say well you kind of went a bit fast here or why is this you already mentioned that as well and i think gerald even looked over my slides so if you have some some techie friends that might not be entirely up to speed with the topic doesn't really matter um just give it to them first if they're not attending the conference um and maybe they they also have some pointers i mean doesn't necessarily need to be someone who isn't tech savvy because in the end you're going probably going to give it at a conference where people are somewhat into the into the tech so if you have a friend or some colleague or whatever try giving it to them see what they think i think it's if you have the chance for uh having someone maybe with with more experience uh, look over your slides and give you input or feedback when you are doing it, that can be very valuable uh, because uh, that that basically is like you would give the presentation already once and you get uh, very good feedback, uh, which I think is is something really great. So if you have the chance, I would definitely opt into doing that. Now, Gerald, you mentioned it before. I mentioned it before. I know Stephen likes them too, demos. So I think demos are something really nice to put in your presentations and in your talks but it's also the thing that is i think the biggest fear of every speaker that a demo might fail uh, some call it the demo gods uh, some uh, say you have to do a special dance before your talk to make sure the demo gods are in a good mood uh, stuff like that have been said at conferences and i don't know if it's purely sarcasm or maybe a a hint of fear and truth in those things but what makes demo so scary gerald well it's easy everything can go wrong you're the and it's, it starts with typing right so demos often do a little bit well again i like to do a little bit of live coding right if you're just gonna throw some snippets on there it you know, it still can work if that's what you want to do. But for me, it, it it's more interesting. I feel that I retain the attention better if I actually type something so that people can follow along line by line. Um, but, you know, act, that's the first thing, right? Typing in front of people, I can't. I just can't do it. I will make typos and my cursor will go everywhere where I would want it to. So that's the first thing. And I'll never get rid of that. So, you know, talking about being nervous, I did it a ton of times. And sure, you still get nervous, which I, I think turned into like, you know, the good kind of nervous, which will get you like on the edge, sharp, focused. Uh, but still, you know, it's it's there, the tension. Uh, but yeah, then demos, you know, like I said, bits change. You got that Windows update. You got that Visual Studio update. Something changed in Azure and suddenly all your stuff doesn't work anymore. Um, which happens. It's going to happen to you if you're going to do this. It's going to happen. 
And, um, you know, the important thing is, again, like, don't panic. They don't expect it to be like some kind of TV show or whatever where everything goes perfectly. Um, and in fact, you know, it can be very useful. And what you really need to understand is that no one wants to see you fix that problem on stage. That's very boring. You will look panicky. Um, so unless you know in two seconds, like, I need to do this to fix it, um, leave it be. Just say like, okay, it, this has happened. I don't know why it doesn't happen. Maybe you do. Uh, this was expected to happen. This was supposed to happen. Um, and then just move on, right? Then just move on. Of course, here also comes into play like how you set up your talk. Because if you are going to do that one demo and then you know build on top of that demo and the first one fails, then your complete session is going to fail. So don't do that. Keep that in mind. Uh, just make separate demos or have some kind of Git branch where you can switch between different things where you have the, the, the solution set up or whatever. Uh, but yeah, so that's what makes it scary because it can always fail because of a hundred reasons. Also, one of the nice reasons is always uh, the conference Wi-Fi the wireless connection, which is always bad because suddenly you have a thousand people trying to um, connect to the Wi-Fi and the Wi-Fi will become really slow. So if you're dependent on an internet connection, I think we mentioned this in one of our episodes, the really pro speakers have their own hotspot um, that they will bring and maybe even duplicate hotspots for if one fails um, and they will just, you know, connect to that and be sure they have that connection going. Uh, but yeah, you know, that costs a lot of money. So unless you are going to professionally speak at conferences, that's probably not something you want to do. Uh, but, you know, you have your phone in your pocket and maybe you're in another country where your plan also works. So you could have that as a backup plan. Uh, but yeah, that is, you know, stuff that can go wrong. And that is scary because we want to have predictable sessions. We want to know what we're doing or at least have that um, illusion of control. And um, yeah, whenever we lose that then things start to go wrong yeah that's true and uh unfortunately they often go wrong while you're presenting but i think that there are a few things i just want to mention once more gerald i think when your demo fails on stage and you've got no clue why it's failing don't fix it i've seen people fixing a demo for 10 minutes and then getting super nervous and it's uh it's okay it's totally okay uh many Great talks uh, have been held where one demo has failed. Uh, another thing that I just want to mention is some of the really good speakers, they will make it seem as if they are winging a demo. So what do I mean by that? As if they would just be showing up on stage and just go like, oh, no, what would be a cool demo? I could show you this and that. And that's just really good showmanship because they will have done that demo over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to get to that point where you can just go up on stage. Oh, I'll just make file new project. I'll type in some code. Oh, look over here, make a joke there, type some more code, and it just magically runs. The only reason usually why they can do it is either they are a, a demigod or they really have uh, prepared and done this thing over and over again. Because as soon as you're on that stage, you're brain capacity drops down to about 10%. And yeah, caveman or cavewoman is is coding. And it, if you are prepared, you usually will just will be doing just fine. But if you have to rely on your smart wits and intuition, they might be not at their prime. That's just something that I 
might have learned the hard way around. And also one thing is when you're giving the talk and you're doing your presentation, don't try out something new. Don't don't click on that new fancy button that might just have appeared in the in the <laughs> updates yesterday. Um, new. Just just stick to your script. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and then the other, I think we need to wrap up because we're already talking too long about all of this because it's just super interesting. Um, but the other really scary thing is like you're done, and then there might be feedback. Da, da, oh boy! Da. Yeah, exactly. Did not prepare and for that. <laughs> the funny thing is that there won't be that much feedback <laughs> yeah. uh, because the, the, every conference is struggling with getting feedback because the people are just like, "Yay, I like it." Or, nah, I don't like it, but they're not going to let the conference know because it's too much of a hassle. They have to go through an app or a web page. And, you know, if you go to a conference, there's easily eight, like if the bigger conferences, right? There's easily like five, eight, ten sessions a day, maybe two days. And you're not going to go through lists of web pages and say like, oh, yeah, this was okay, this was not, this was, and what was the reason I liked him or her. I did, but, but. You're not going to specify all these details. So, you know, there are some conferences who are doing some creative stuff on getting that feedback, but um, you can you can expect not that much feedback. Unfortunately, like, you know, it's not easy to hear, but it's definitely something that is very useful so that you can improve upon. Um, but yeah, so that's that's um, kind of like the other scary thing again. But it's it, I didn't really get that much feedback over time, to be honest. Uh, maybe that says something about my sessions. I don't know. Um, how's that for you? I, it's it's same for me, and uh, usually I get positive feedback. Um, especially, I mean, if you if you go like, oh, I'll ask people, hey, what do you think of the session? They will just think, yeah, it was it was great, it was good. They will always be nice. Yeah, because people will always be nice. I mean, who will be the person who just goes up to you and say, you know, on that slide... That was crap. On that slide, <laughs> you could have done this and that and that. I mean, you'll get feedback like that. And haters going to hate. Uh, you can't make it right for everyone. And I think that's also really important. Like if someone gives you positive feedback, you know, so, some people write it down actually so that when they get a lot of harsh feedback or one harsh feedback is usually... One harsh feedback counts for like 10 positive feedbacks and you still only mm -hmm. remember the harsh one. So yeah, don't get yourself let dragged down too far. And sometimes some feedback has got a, a a bit of truth in it. So maybe you you found something that you could improve. Uh, one thing that I usually like to do is uh, reflect on how the talk went. Like, did it go good? Was it all smooth? Did I have some problems here or there? Why am I not happy with it? And then sometimes I, I will improve the talk. So you, we said it at the beginning, uh, recycling talks. At the beginning, I did every talk from a new, uh, which can be great if you're getting into the craft because, yeah, it, it will give you some great uh, exercise. But as you go along, you'll find parts that you can reuse in different talks. And also you will maybe be giving the same talk again, maybe updating it here and there again because you've got some parts that need changing. But overall, it's a it's a good story. It's a it's a great piece of education, hopefully, and also a bit entertaining. And so, why not uh, share that more than once? Oh, we should make this a two part episode because there's so much things that I still want to share. Like, get the right font size. Don't use dark mode uh, before your session starts. Go to the back of the room and see if you can actually read the code and your slides. And 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 if you're nervous just before your session, go out to your audience and talk a little bit. Well, anyway, 
lots of tips and pointers here. Maybe, you know, I, at least I'm open to it. If you want to get started and you're not sure how or you're looking for some feedback, just contact me and uh, I will see if we can, you know, have a little talk ourselves and see if we can work something out. I'm definitely open to that. And um, Mark and Stephen probably are as well, if you like them better, which I can't imagine. Yep. But oh, yeah. oh, um, Never, never, never. <laughs> they will first, first go to Gerald. And yeah. If if Gerald I mean, if Gerald doesn't reply to you in like two seconds, feel free yeah. to contact me or Steve. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's usually how it goes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow, arrogance. Okay, good. We can do an episode on that. And that wraps up this episode on talking, speaking on conferences. I don't know what the exact title is, but that kind of sums up what we've been talking about. We've been your hosts, Gerald Schloes, Mark Halibone, and Stephen Davison. Let us know your experiences with speaking remote at a conference. If you want to get started, what are your tips that we have not talked about? What are your experiences? What demo did fail? Let us know on Twitter at NullPointers.io. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Stay safe. And until next week on NullPointers.